got some. Uh, we've got some. We, we, we've got some text messages come through. There's a few uh-huh. controversial ones uh, here. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Shall we start with the controversial one first? Yeah. Maybe, maybe we'll go there first. Let me see right. here. This one's from Karen. She says this. New Zealand and the Cook Islands have handled COVID better than Australia. I said Australia's handled it the best in the world. Somebody says New Zealand and the Cook Islands have handled it better. What do you think, Lawson? I think you're wrong, Lyle. You think I'm wrong? I, yeah, whatever, whatever it is, I think you're wrong. You think I am wrong? No, I actually, I know you're wrong, actually. You know I'm yeah, wrong. Yeah, yeah, I, mate, I will battle you. Uh, okay, listen, I am so the single, I am the single most patriotic person ever. Like, I yes. love my country, even though I was talking about how we should move to Italy. Yes. Um, I love Australia. Yes. But I, I, I would agree with this person. Why? For a number of reasons. Why? Okay, firstly. It's totally unjustified. Firstly, okay, how so? How so, huh? Lyle? L- no, I want to hear your reasons oh, okay, first. Okay, okay, so, so, just from every, like, metric of data that we can Every take. metric of data. Here it yeah, goes. Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. yeah. Uh-huh. We can uh-huh. confirm yes. that New Zealand handled it better than Australia. Okay. Okay, so check this out. Check this out, Lyle. Check this out. Uh, New Zealand has a population of 4.9 million. Yes. And they had um, 2,608 COVID cases. We have a population of 25.8 million and we had... 29,991 um, 29, COVID cases. Okay. So then the thing is, it's like, okay, well, how do those fit into each other? We have a large popula- population, da da da. So in Australia, one in every 845 people got COVID. Right. I'm like, okay. So, you know, yes. that's, that's not many, but that's a number. But in New Zealand, it's one in every 1,849 people who got COVID. Right. Furthermore, yes. Lyle, uh-huh. we had 910 COVID-related deaths. Right. New Zealand had 26. That's <laughs> not a bad effort. <laughs> yeah, so, so it seems like... So what's from, that per, per deaths per population? Um, much lower than Australia. It has to be, right? Because 26 as a multiple of 991, like... Yeah. All right. I, let, didn't, let me... I didn't calculate it, but... Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. You, but, you, okay. You give, give me, go, go ahead give and me calculate your silly that. Thing, and then I'll even refute that with more information. Go ahead better. and calculate that while I smash you. Okay. What? what, what, <laughs> what All right. So here in Australia, we had to protect 7.7 million square kilometres of country, whereas in New Zealand, they only had to protect 268,000 square kilometres. So we have a much, much bigger area to protect. We have a border that stretches for 25,780 kilometres, whereas in New Zealand they've only got a 15,000-kilometre border to protect. So we've got a much bigger country to protect and a much bigger border to protect. If you look at those figures based on COVID cases per square kilometre, we are the best in the world. No, you are wrong. You are wrong, <laughs> because we have a lower population density. Doesn't matter how much land we have. Check this out. New Zealand has a population oh, I am, I am density. St- okay, New Zealand has a population <laughs> density of 18 people per square kilometer. We have a population density of three. <laughs> three. Three. You can't make you the you can't no, make no, it. My, my, my figures actually work. Okay, but, furthermore, but, furthermore, we have like things like the Ruby Princess, like coronavirus, like 
Just yeah, like the, the New South Wales government being like, oh, it's going to cost us lots of money and time to, like, you know, house all these COVID people. You know what? Let's we just had, let them in. We also had COVID Victoria. But anyway, um, all right. I'll, I will give well, it, you are wrong. I will, I will let Karen and Lawson win on this one, even though I'm right. Um, COVID cases per square kilometre, we are the best in the world. It's not about the battle. It's about the war, right, Lyle? You're in my head. Okay. Um, let's move on. Let's change the subject. Uh, here, here, we are, here we go, here we go. Uh, next text message. We are here to give the final message, the three angels message, and we will be here until the whole world hears it. Mm-hmm. So don't let me stop you. If we don't, someone else will. This is a good message. This is a good text message because the person here is referencing the three angels' messages. And if you're unfamiliar with that, you'll find it in Revelation chapter 14, where it is the final giving of the Bible describes it in Revelation 14 as the everlasting gospel. Mm. So it's the final giving of the everlasting gospel to the world just before Jesus comes back. So uh, good uh, Bible reference there. Uh, the Texas Fetal Heart Bill, 500 pro-life bills in the last four months, 60-plus approved, surely going the right direction. The pendulum is swinging back. Can we legislate righteousness? Question mark. No. Sin can only be overcome with a new heart, and only oh, wow. God can do that. <clears throat> God will find a way. Uh, next, that's, that's absolutely spot on right there. And it's something that it worries me when governments try and legislate morality. Mm. And tell you, well, this is what's moral. This is not what's moral. Uh, we need to have good laws that are moral laws, but we can't try and legislate how a person thinks. Actually, we should. That's that's a hard. Issue I think we could talk about. about this in relationship to our Bible study on the covenant. Ooh, but we'll we'll get read text messages first, and then we'll talk about it. All right, I've only got one more, so we can come back to it. Okay. Uh, young people believe in Satan more than God. And we had a bit of an off-air discussion about this and even a little bit of an on-air discussion about it as to Honestly, how, does the, how does this stat actually I'm like, work? Bro, I don't want to say this word, but I'm going to have to say it because it relates best to the context. But I'm like, were they just doing it like as a meme? Like, was it just a joke? Like, Well, hey, I don't know. Are they just being ironic? No, I, I, I think there's probably a... This was a big enough study to show that there's actually a level of truth to this. Mm. Young people believe in Satan more than God, and I think this person here sending the text message in has probably nailed it. They don't go to church. Their church is the TV, and the sermon that sermons they get is the occult, and Satan is now the good guy. Yeah. What you mm-hmm. see and hear is what you believe if you hear it long enough. We have a whole generation raised by TV as their babysitter. We will have to do, God will have to do mighty miracles to save this generation. And when you stop and think about it, uh, if you're a parent right now, compare the amount of time that your parent, that your children are influenced by the TV as compared to the amount of time that they are influenced by the Bible. Yeah. In wow. any given day mm. or any given week. You know, they might go to Sunday school for what, an hour, two hours at Sunday school or Sabbath school, whichever it might be. And then how much time are they influenced by the Bible during a weekday mm. compared it's, to how much time they're influenced by a screen? And then you'll have the answer very, very simply. And we kind of mentioned, like, well, I'm sure we've done a Bible study about this on radio before in the last however long Faith FM's been, you know, we've been doing the breakfast show. But then at the same time, like, we mentioned it very offhandedly a lot, you know, Bible holding you were changed. That's the simple That's reality. It. It's a law of the mind. Yeah. The Bible states it in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18. By beholding you become, what you look at is what you become. Mm. And you can't stop that. 
Mm. You might think, well, I'm strong enough to actually look at this without becoming this, but the fact is you can't. You know what, Lyle? Yes. This ties perfectly into our conversation about the covenants. It ties into this conversation about legislating righteousness. Okay. And I'm going to show you how. All right, let's go. Ready? I'm sorry sorry we're doing a detour here for the first part of the Bible study. Let's do it. Let's do it. Hebrews Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrews chapter 8. Okay, I'll head over there. Yeah. Hebrews 8. Let me just find that real quick. I'm uh, flicking over to Hebrews 8 in my Bible that is falling apart all over the place. Um, Actually, yeah, let's read verse 10 and 11. Okay, so it says here, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them in their hearts. I will be to them a God. They will be to me a people. They shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least to the greatest. Okay, verse 11. Verse 11 is a real highlight verse for me because it says, No one shall teach his neighbor, saying, Know the Lord, because... They will already know him. Regis- uh, legislating righteousness, re- uh, legislating righteousness, as we mentioned before, you know, needing to put uh, law, uh, you know, laws that are based on Christian principles uh, into legislation. It's like we do so because it's like, oh, then we'll influence people to be better based on the principles of God, and they'll give them a better chance to know God. But the reality is very clear here that it's not law that can teach people about God, but rather God Himself. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. Okay, so that's actually a really interesting thought that you've raised there, Lawson, from uh, Hebrews chapter 8. And, of course, Hebrews 8 is the new covenant, Mm. and it is about the law of God, and it is about knowing God. Mm. You know, this is what it all comes down to. This is where where God says, look, I want to write my laws in your heart and on your mind, but it's all about knowing God. Mm. That's the whole issue right Mm. here. And you can't write a piece of legislation that creates a knowledge of God. Yes, yes. You can you can create a piece of legislation that creates knowledge about God. I'm going to show you first real quick. Go to uh, Peter. Peter. Peter, 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 Peter. Where is Peter gone? <laughs> Why is Peter? It's after Hebrews. That's my yeah, 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 yeah. Going the wrong Mate, direction. Going the wrong way. Second <laughs> uh, Peter chapter 1. Mm-hmm. And verse 2. Mm-hmm. Read that one for us, please. It says, May God give you more and more grace and peace as you grow in your knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Uh, and verse 3. And verse 3. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need to, for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. Let me read it to you from mine, verse 3 in particular. According as his divine power has given us all things that we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of him. Mm. And I stopped short right there, but I want to emphasize that point, through the knowledge of him. Now, if you look at those stats out of the United States where you have, you know, uh, 16%, I think it was, of millennials who believe Mm. that Jesus can provide eternal life and salvation by accepting him. Compared to like ninety percent of the you know the builder generation, the greatest generation, which was nineteen twenty seven, nineteen forty five, and so you see a, a massive secularization of the United States taking place, and yet if you ask any millennial in the U.S., have you ever heard about God? Yeah, they're all going to say yes. Mm. If you were then to ask them, can you tell me something that you know about God? 
they would be able to tell you probably a long list of things that they know about yeah, God. This passage here, when it says we receive everything we need for life and godliness through a knowledge of him, mm. we don't receive that through a knowledge where we know about God. It's a knowledge where we know God. Mm. We know him as our personal friend. That's what the covenant is all about. Mm. And that's what that relationship is all about. Fantastic point there, Lawson. Where are we heading to next in our Bible study for today? I don't know. You're leading. Oh, I thought <laughs> I thought wait, you, wait, you've, wait, already, which, you've already which, done this Bible yeah, study. Yeah, I've been through it. Which topic are we on? Okay, so we're actually a little bit behind. Oh, yeah, true. I think uh, we're a day behind at least. Oh, that's But fine. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12 and 13 is where we're heading to. Oh, let's go. All right, Deuteronomy chapter 10, 10. verse 12 and 13. Okay. And we're going to we're sort of going to pick up on a on a question that we've been looking at and that is that well, it sort of popped up a little bit a couple of times are God's laws arbitrary. Mm. Okay, verse uh, 12 and 13 please. The Bible says, "And now Israel, what does the Lord God require of you? He requires only that you fear the Lord your God and live in the way that pleases him and love him and serve him with all your heart and soul." And you must obey the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving to you today for your own good. Okay, so why does the Bible say that God gives us his laws? Uh, for our own good. But there's a whole bunch of laws there that you could look at it and say, well, that's just an arbitrary law. Well, then there's the other kind of side of it where it's like live in the way that pleases him. Yes. So it's kind of two, twofold there. So, for instance, if you look at the laws of what uh, that were given to Israel in relationship to what they could and could not eat. Yes. Okay, so the Bible says you can't eat dead camels, dead rabbits, dead rats, dead mice, dead pigs, mm-hmm. etc. There's a whole bunch of things there the Bible says that you can't eat. The Bible says that you can't eat dead shellfish. It also says, like, don't poop in your house. Yes. The Bible but- says you should go out and take a shovel with you and bury your excrement. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if we look at those laws... Then uh, aren't they just arbitrary? Isn't God just saying, "Well, you can't eat this and you can't eat that"? No, like this is this is what we know. And I, I brought up like the poop thing as a joke, but also like to highlight the point that you know it's actually a real thing. It's actually a real thing. The Bible does talk about it. Yeah, the Bible doesn't just say that you can't poop in your house. The Bible says you can't um, poop in a in a in a populated place. Mm. But like, so you can't use the you can, you can't use the sidewalk or the street or the gutter anything like that. You've got to go outside of the camp, in other words, or outside mm. of the city. And we know, like, the reason that God gives us that like instruction that we can verify through history and science is because if you're you know close to feces, it's very easy to catch disease. Yes, and and it's the same thing with the animals. Like right. the reason that we don't eat them is because it's they're terrible for you. That's they right. They lead to health problems and catching diseases and the, blood, the Bible says don't eat the blood or the fat. Yeah. I mean, that's just like the most obvious thing in mm. modern science today and we would not have COVID right now if people had followed what the Bible said about wow. what you should and mm. should not eat. Mm-hmm. In fact, out of the last 19 pandemics that our world has seen, we would have, sorry, out of the last 20, 19 of them would never have existed if we had followed what the Bible says. Wow. It's just, you know, those are those are statistics. And this is why the Bible says, I will bless you if you keep my laws, which I give you for your own good. Mm. 
And the reality is that you can keep God's laws and be blessed even if you don't believe in God. Yeah. Oh, I love talking about this, Lyle. Like, this is what uh, Psalm chapter 1 is all about. You know, this idea that God establishes you, you know, if you walk in his counsels. It's not because God needs to supernaturally bless you once you keep his laws. It's just because you're living a better life. Like, 100%. I guess that's what this Bible study is all about. But, yeah, you're living a better life by following his ways because it's just, that's like, if you go against it, you're, it's literally leading to death, not in a spiritual sense, but in a literal sense. So here's an interesting thought that uh, Bruce has just uh, sent through. Mm-hmm. Laws don't actually teach you, they force you. Right? Let me continue on here. Ooh. But by by but by beholding and experiencing the effects of the laws, you learn if they are good or not. Mm-hmm. So that's interesting because that makes the laws experiential. Mm-hmm. Right? So if you look at God's laws and the laws say, well, do this or don't do that, right? In other words, don't eat dead pigs. Then if you experience that and you see that people who follow the health laws in the Bible live 10 years longer than everybody else, you can mm. you can then say, well, this is a good law or a bad law. I'd, I'd challenge anybody to say that that is a bad law. Mm-hmm. Oh, 100%. Uh, if you look at the laws that say, for instance, when the light turns red, you need to stop, well, we can experience, and probably I think most of us have experienced what happens when you break that law, bad things happen. Mm-hmm. And people die, and so you can experience and say, this is a good law. Yeah, that's exactly what uh, Paul like expresses in Romans chapter 7, where he's like, what shall we say then is law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law, for I would have not have known covetousness unless the law had said, you shall not covet. So like the point is, is like he had an experience of covetousness, and then when he read the law, he identified, oh, this is what covetousness is, and like... Yeah, there's this experiential part of it where he, where he understood, like, oh, yeah, this makes sense to follow this. In the previous verses, he's making the point that, like, the law is good and holy and just and righteous, and it's because it identifies, like, what is wrong with him. Like, it, But that comes from the experience. I love that point from, from Bruce. That's awesome. It is really good, uh, really insightful right there. We'd love to hear from our listeners, so please send through your thoughts and your comments. Uh, we will share them here on Faith FM mm. and uh, sometimes even have a fun debate over them. Yeah, oh, 100%. Go, Karen. And I'll smoke wild. <laughs> 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 uh, dear. Okay, so uh, getting back to what we were talking about, well, let's think about some of the other laws then. So we talked about the health laws. Well, that's kind of obvious. What about laws... Uh, of uh, sexual morality. Mm. Now, it's interesting because we had that interview with David Haupt yesterday, and if you missed it, David Haupt, of course, comes on the show to talk about emotional health. Mm. And yesterday he talked about the issue of emotional health in relationship to sex before marriage. Yeah, wow. And the Bible speaks a bit against fornication. It's interesting that a study that came out in the United States showed that 46% of Christians... Uh, see no relevance to any of the sexual laws that there are in the Bible. Mm. Now, there's not a lot of prohibitions in the Bible as far as um, sex goes. I think there's like seven from memory, seven different things the Bible says don't do this. Fornication is one of them, you know, fornication and adultery. And, uh, you know, you listen to David Haupt and he just takes you through it and he outlines so clearly how that sex before marriage is so destructive on marriages and on relationships 
and really creates singleness and loneliness at the end of the day and massive insecurities that plague people right through their married life and are really, really hard to deal with. Yeah, wow. And so you look at those kinds of laws and some people say, well, that's arbitrary, but I challenge anybody to find an arbitrary law. Find it for me and text it through. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Look, blessed are the unlikely. all the unlikely people in the Bible. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, as I read before, like this description, you know, are you caught in the tension between wanting to do great things for God, yet finding yourself dragging through life with a dull sense of failure? Man, that is so many people's experience. Uh, as I mentioned before, yeah, even my own, I'd like, you know, feeling that way of, man, what can God really do through me if I'm, a f- if I'm a failure? And if you look at some of the greatest people of the Bible and make a list of their faults, it gets very, very long. 100%. Uh, for instance, do this as an exercise one time. Sit down and take, the person in the Bible who is mentioned more times than anyone else other than Jesus. That is King David. Mm. Make a list of his faults. Yeah, wow. And just see how long that list goes mm. and all of the mistakes that he made and all of the things that he messed up. Against. But while we're talking about mistakes and failures, we've been talking about the role of the law and we've been talking about whether God's laws are arbitrary or not. Mm. We were talking about particularly uh, laws in relationship to sexuality because that is the area in which we have the most pushback from the secular world who say that those laws are arbitrary mm. and I argue that they are not. Mm-hmm. I argue that, and 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 I believe uh, the Bible produces a compelling case that all of those laws are for our best good. Mm-hmm. Okay, awesome. Oh yeah, I I was thinking. Oh man, I, I did a philosophy class uh, last year at Avondale, yes. and I learned about famous philosophers, you know, through the ages and how they stack up against Christianity. And um, in particular, I learned about two philosophers. Their names are Simone de Beauvoir, and the other one is Jean-Paul Sartre. Now, both of these guys are super famous names in, well, you know, one's a woman, one's a a man, both really famous names in uh, the world of philosophy for being famous existentialists. Um, But specifically atheistic existentialists. So the father of existentialism, his name is Kierkegaard, and he was his basic philosophy was like nothing in life matters. Like we live and we die, nothing in life matters. But he was a deeply devout Christian, and he's like nothing in life matters. Therefore, the only thing that could possibly matter is giving our life to God, and that's a. A, a philosophy that I tend to agree with. He was p- someone who experienced lots of tragedy in his life, lots of terrible things, and he, and he comes to this conclusion. But then you have uh, Simone de Beauvoir and Jean-Paul Sartre. They're kind of the next wave, the next generation that come along in France. And this is really the birth of postmodernism. And they're like, okay, nothing in life matters, not even God. Like, we don't believe in God. Literally nothing in life matters. Life is, ob- uh, you know, absurd. Life is crazy. Like, life literally means nothing so therefore do what you want. Like this this was their great uh, contribution to philosophy and their understanding of existentialism. Now these guys got into a relationship. You know, obviously they're attracted to each other. They're they like the same philosophy. You know, they're, they're, they're both, you know, big names and big minds. And so they get into an, a relationship. And because of their philosophy that nothing matters, there is no morality, there is no right and wrong. Uh, we just do things because we can. They're, you know, they're sticking by that and they're like, oh, let's have an open relationship. 
Like, yeah, like as if that's... Yeah, yeah. and the, that's, that's an oxymoron. You don't have an open relationship. You have an open or you have a relationship. You don't have an open relationship. And so basically what happens is they start a relationship and Simone de Beauvoir, she then, you know, they're together, but then she's seeing other guys as well. And the, the tale goes, like the, the famous story is that, you know, Sartre becomes, you know, terribly jealous of all of her other partners. Like, obviously, like, it's so clear. And it just goes to show me, like, even the people that are promoting in the most prolific sense that morality doesn't matter, that nothing matters, that it's, you know, it's just arbitrary, it's just made up, they themselves experience the hurt and pain of not following the morality that God prescribes. Which which really comes back to this um, point that, where was it? that Bruce was bringing out that it is by beholding and experiencing the effect of laws that you learn if they're good or not. Mm. They beheld it, they experienced it, and they're like, we were gooses. Whether yeah. they actually admitted that or not, I don't know. But everybody else can see that. Yeah, unfortunately they did. You know, they went to the grave, you know, holding on to their existential philosophy for a number of reasons, whether it be pride or fame or whatever it may be. But we can look at that, we can uh, reflect on that and say, like, man, that's so silly. Those who do not, those who refuse to learn from the mistakes of the past, are condemned to repeat them. Ooh, yikes! That's heavy. You know, that's that's, that's, a, that's a famous, that's a saying. Mm. It's a, it's a it's a truthism. Oh. Not in the Bible. Oh yeah, yeah. It's a uh, it's, it's quoted a, in Second Opinions. Yes, chapter three. <laughs> but it's a good one. That's awesome. Do we have it's any? A fact. What what else do we have to talk about? We just oh, we got. We, we, let's go to uh, let's go to Romans chapter nine and verse twenty three. Mm-hmm. Romans chapter nine and verse. 23. Oh, man. This Bible is really tough. Like, the pages are massive. This is the Bible that we have here in the studio that I read from. All right. Romans chapter... 9 verse 32, sorry. 9 32. The Bible says this. Uh, why, uh, why not? Because they were trying to get right with God by keeping the law instead of by trusting in Him. They stumbled over the great rock in their path. Okay, so how were the Israelites trying to get right with God? By, you know, uh, keeping his law instead of trusting him. By keeping his law. And and this is where they missed the point. Mm. Because they turned the laws of God, which God gave us for our good, into arbitrary laws. Mm. It's like, oh, if we don't eat pigs, we will make it to heaven. Mm. Rather than understanding that God said don't eat pigs because God loves us and God cares for us and he doesn't want to have trachina and worm infections and all of this kind of stuff that you're going to catch from eating dead pigs. Mm. Uh, They read where God said, you know, don't eat the fat of the animal. And they were like, well, we won't eat the fat of the animal because God says so. And if we are obedient enough, we will get saved. Mm. Rather than understanding that God said, don't eat the fat of the animal because God didn't want us to get fat and get a heart attack and die from blocked arteries. Yeah, wow. You know, this is a very, very okay. So, so for sure, we've got you know a much more scientific understanding of it these days than what they had back then. Does that mean that they could uh, have no understanding of it? No. If they followed those health laws, they could recognize a very short space of time that they were living longer and healthier and happier than any other nation in the ancient world. I mean, mm. you're dealing with the time period in Earth's history where the average lifespan people lived into their mid forties. That was it. Mm. That was all you had, and they were short and miserable lifespans. People died young. Mm. You know, then you've got this nation of Israel. They're making it to three score and ten, the Bible says. Seventy years old is their average. 
That's a message to the entire world. And if they actually looked at that and figured out, okay, we get that because God gave us good laws, then they would have had a very, very different understanding of God's laws. All of God's laws, all of God's requirements are given to us for our good. There are none that are arbitrary. If you can think of one that is arbitrary, send it through. I'd love to hear it. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Some good stuff, good stuff. Good news, good news. All right, right. so that means that it is time for... Question of the Day. All right, Lyle, our question today is, at the end of time... Will we have formal church organizations and churches that are registered companies, or will we go back to home churches? Okay, so this is a question that came out of uh, the question of the day that we had yesterday where we were talking about a person by the name of either Nympha or Nymphus who operated a church from their home in, I think it was the city of Colossae, uh, if my memory gets is, is correct on that one. And so... Th- the subject came up of home churches. It was pointed out that in the book of Acts there are a lot of churches that operated from homes rather than being you know, informal buildings and so forth. And as the church developed and grew and later as it became legalized, they were able to move towards the more formal church setting. However, the question is, all right, is that where we will go back to as we get to the end of time? And this really comes out of a passage from Revelation chapter 13. Let me read it to you, because the Bible describes the conditions in the world at the end of time. It says in verse 16, He forces all, small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads, that no man could buy or sell except he that had the mark or the name of the beast, or the number of his name. So I want you to notice here that there are severe economic sanctions against anybody who chooses to have the seal of God or be a servant of God at the end of time, as opposed to those who receive the mark of the beast. Now, if you cannot buy or sell, let me point the obvious out to you. You cannot run a business. Mm. And a formal church organization, uh, take anyone, you know, the Catholic Church, the Anglican Church, the Methodist Church, the Adventist Church, whatever it might be, they all run as a business organization. There is a business aspect to running an organization that is that large. And it is impossible to be able to run a business organization if you can't buy and sell. You know, it's impossible to yeah. own property if you can't you know, own a church property if you can't buy or sell. How are you going to pay rates? How are you going to pay for any of the bills associated with owning a church property? So the very, very obvious thing here is that no, of course there won't be formal church organizations at the end of time when the mark of the beast is enforced. That has to be the most obvious thing ever. And if you want an example of that, all you've got to look at is countries where Christianity is persecuted. Mm. Look at China as an example. You have two options in China. You can be part of the formal church where they kind of give you their own Bible and allow you to read you know, parts of it that you want. That's not really church. Or then you have the underground church, which is meeting in people's homes. As soon as you have persecution, you have home churches. Anywhere you have persecution, you have home churches. And you don't have to have persecution at anything like the level of what the Bible is talking about in Revelation 13 because, let's face it, China is nowhere near the level of Revelation 13 as far as persecution goes. You know, you read verse... 15 there, he had power to give life to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and force that as many as would not worship the image of the beast would be killed. 
Now, China is doing terrible things. They have re-education camps, they have concentration camps, all these kinds of things that are taking place. There are not that many people. There is not systemic execution of Christians in China. Execution of Christians is taking place, but not on a systemic level. Mm -hmm. The Bible is talking about systemic persecution of Christians in Revelation 13. And so this is a level of persecution far, far above China. And China's gone to home churches. So if... If China's gone there, then uh, that's a good example for you know for where Christianity will head in the future before it goes to you know a full persecution type of environment. So I think the answer to this one is so obvious that I find it hard that people miss it, and they kind of somehow assume that you know we might be sitting in a church on a Sabbath or a Sunday morning or whatever it might be when Jesus comes back. No, that's not what the Bible says. If you do have the privilege of worshipping with other believers, it'll be in a home or maybe even in the bush. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.